So how much money do you think Disney has made guilt-tripping parents who have to travel away from their kids for periods of time? (laughs) A lot. (laughs) Disney has made money off of everything that Disney can make money off of. Whenever we uh, tour, uh, I think it's James, he, our, our guitarist, he always, said, he always starts singing uh, Cats in the Cradle. And the cats in the cradle <laughs> in the silver spoon. <laughs> Little boy blue. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, funny. Mm. No, this movie, uh, we're talking about Coco, who was, which was the runner-up on our polls. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. So, last hey, week. goes to show you, if you vote on our polls, everybody gets their way. Except for Ben, apparently, because we're not going to do Contagion. <laughs> the one other person who wanted to review Contagion with me uh, is... Who, who needs to watch it when you're living it? But but you can live a heightened reality. Yeah, where it's actually way worse than it is in (laughs) real. But the movie I've been seeing pop up on iTunes and stuff is Outbreak. Outbreak. Oh, what's that? Is that I never heard of it. It's some. It's some. I don't know. The only thing I know is the poster shows Kevin Spacey in a hazmat suit. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. So that I want to sort of lost interest when I. I sort of lost interest when I saw Kevin Spacey. Yeah. No, but Coco. It's. A little bit of a throwback. Did it come back out? Come out two years ago? I think it was. Yeah, it was. It was well, like, yeah, it's. It was the most recent Pixar ago. movie, right? Well, we've had a couple since then, like Onward, and I know the Soul one is coming out, but right. I think that was the the last. It's been big the one, last right? big one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it was, and it's a really clever movie. I mean, mm-hmm. it's pretty, it is a good film. It, All it's Pixar movies very are very imaginative. That's not true. Like what? I don't know. Brave. Brave. Is you that know, a Pixar movie? That's not yeah. Pixar. Yeah, uh-huh. It's Pixar. No. Uh-huh. Yes, it Are you is. sure? Uh-huh. Pixar is brave. <laughs> I'm going to look that up. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a Cars Pixar fan. Three. But okay, Cars 3 is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Cars 2 is bad. But <laughs> The moral of the story. The podcast where a writer, a philosopher, and a filmmaker explore the stories that make us and the morality that makes the story. No, it, it's it's interesting because when we were throwing out movies to potentially review in the poll, Coco was not the movie that I thought would be the most complicated movie to review. And our, the last movie we reviewed, we reviewed Peanut Butter Falcon, was pretty straightforward movie. Mm-hmm. But I have to say that I had the most it is mixed. <laughs> I had the most mixed feelings watching yeah. Coco of almost any movie mm-hmm. I've ever watched, and it's because. Coco is operating on so many levels. Yeah. There, there's so much stuff in this movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's packed. that's true. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't feel cluttered at the same time. You know? No, it actually it's a very cohesive story. Yeah, but it, it is. but in a way, it's a very real story. Mm-hmm. Even though say, it has the trappings I would say of dense, but in a good way. Right. You know. Right. There's a lot of plot. Rich. Right, exactly. Yeah, rich. <laughs> like a chocolate Or like cake. a good dense bread. You know, like a <laughs> like a German nut bread. Yeah, something like that. Or there's got to be a Mexican bread. Or like bread. Irish soda bread. <laughs> Come on. It's cocoa. There ought to be a Mexican bread. Oh, true. That's like, right? I thought it was like flat, a really like a tortilla. thick tortilla. <laughs> <laughs> like a burrito. <laughs> no, but before we jump in, uh, we wanted to take a minute to share with you about today's sponsor. And mm-hmm. we have a book recommendation because today's sponsor is audible.com. Um, ben, you want to tell us about today's recommendation? Yeah, so we're recommending The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis because The Great Divorce is one of the best books ever written about the afterlife. and Which happens to be the subject of Coco. Yeah, so in Coco, uh, the protagonist, Miguel, takes a journey to the afterlife, and mm-hmm. The Great Divorce is also about a journey to the afterlife. 
except the great divorce actually is somewhat plausible from a Christian metaphysical perspective, whereas Coco, in his journey to the afterlife, (laughs) is kind of this terrifying vision of if Opryland Hotel and Disney World was the afterlife. (laughs) And I just had this terrifying, it was a nightmare. Like to see when the city of the afterlife was revealed and you realize that people are being processed the way they process you at Disney World with your little pass and it's all parties and games. I thought that's horrifying. Like if the afterlife was that, I think maybe you would want to see what the opposite was. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, the question is, the question is, because if you want to get the great divorce, go to audibletrial.com slash moral of the story, sign up. It helps the show, helps this keep going and you get that for free. So, and it'll help you. It'll help you because you will learn from CS Lewis. You'll be enriched. So one of the masters back to the podcast. Well, this begs a question. Did the writers and creatives who made the afterlife that he experiences look like a Disney attraction? Is that supposed to be heaven or hell? <laughs> or is it just a way to get you to want to go to Disney World? Or well, were they so. directed so that Rod uh, Bob Iger could make a new attraction in a park? Exactly. Modeled mm. after Coco. It could be. I bet. Disney yeah. World Mardi Gras. Yeah. You know? That's, That's not exactly. Mardi Gras. Day of the Dead. Is that Mardi? No. Is it Mardi Gras? No. Day of the Dead is is in Mexico. Mardi Gras is in like Louisiana. It's like uh, Cajun. Like No, Mardi Gras is because it's the last day before Lent. But the Day of the Dead... Day of the Dead, I don't know if it's connected with Mardi Gras. Obviously, I, I see there's similarities, I guess. Wait, and I was going to actually ask this. Is the Day of the Dead a Catholic thing, or is it a Mexican no. mythological and, thing? And this is actually a Hispanic big is, uh, thing, uh, because one of the other big problems I had with the movie was, I don't know if you noticed, but there were just a couple of moments where Hispanic Catholicism, so to speak, like yeah. cultural Catholicism, well, I noticed that. was nodded toward... And totally bad-mouthed. Like, the moment when she destroys the guitar, she crosses herself. Like, nobody else crosses themselves ever in the movie, uh, oh, except yeah. when yeah, they destroy the guitar. That. So, And Day of the Dead is a very pagan festival. Well, that's what festival. I thought. It's yeah. like folk, okay. folk magic superstition. So, it's a very, right, it's a very right. uh, like, cultural, mythological thing. Okay, so it coincides with Halloween. Oh, oh really? Okay. Oh, okay. It coincides with Halloween. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, it's like Day of the Dead overlaps with All Souls Day. Oh, okay. Is the overlap. Yeah. Interesting. But it's funny to me because watching it- It's definitely freaky. Coco, the presentation of the Day of the Dead and and the teaching of the movie, it's one of the most pagan movies, like authentically pagan movies I've ever watched. Mm. It's it's amazing because if you think about what, well, what is paganism- Paganism, whether it's Egyptian or Mexican or Incan or whatever, it always has a few features, and a lot of them were in Coco. One was ancestor mm-hmm. worship, yeah, yeah, um, <clears throat> idolatry. So, like, literally, the image is the person. Mm-hmm. You know, th- that was all through the movie, um, to the point that the picture being destroyed was you know, kind of Very the, big. the MacGuffin yeah. at the yeah. end. Right. Um, and then you have the idea that at certain times of year, the, like the dead are near or the mm-hmm. spirits enter the world and we have to somehow placate or become friends with them mm-hmm. through votive offerings. Yeah. 
So that's very pagan. Um, and then the idea that the afterlife is basically something where you take all your stuff with you, like the pharaohs of Egypt. Like, I'm yeah. just going to bring all my stuff well, that's actually on the that boat part. over the Nile well, the food and they live left it up. For them, like, yeah. That was literally what they did in you know, ancient Egypt. Like, the loved ones would stock the, you know, mm-hmm. the tombs full of earthly possessions that the spirit could take with him on the afterlife. Right, right. And so like they left the food and the gifts and mm-hmm. that's why <laughs> that's why uh, uh, De La Cruz was very wealthy right. in the afterlife because all his fans would leave him stuff. Right. right. And, uh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the terrifying thing is that, you know, obviously, quote, it's fantasy, but the kids watching it, what they're being told is that this is real. Like they're being asked to believe in the pagan worldview. Like yeah. when, mm-hmm. because... How much of our culture has processed the Christian critique of taking, you can't take it with you? That was literally the name of a movie in the 50s and 40s. You can't take it with you. It's like drilled into us. Even the most secular of this movie. (laughs) Yeah, it was you can take it with you. You can live it up in the afterlife by becoming wealthy. So it becomes, it's materialism gone mystical. It's like American capitalist bourgeois materialism uh, becoming <laughs> spiritual I wonder eschatological. Though, you know, it's and I, terrifying. I'm in no way able to answer this question, and really none of us are, but I wonder how much of that is actually believed yeah. and how much of it is just, you know, uh, you know, that's a fun thing, you know. And and I'm yeah. not saying that that makes it okay, but I, I wonder if, if, and I don't know, there probably are, just knowing the state of, you know, people but there probably are people who genuinely believe that. Um, yeah. But I just wonder, you know, because to me, I totally got all of that. Mm-hmm. And, but it, it felt very much like in some ways it, it felt like a brave or something like that, where they were, they were very much trying to make it myth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and not maybe trying to, this I don't is know. a good question, though, because like that that begs the question: if if you make something myth, mm-hmm. does that mean it's something that you don't believe? Right. Because, like I always say, your worldview is not the beliefs you hold; it's the things that you don't realize you believe. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the feelings you have about the things that you see uh, more than it is your yeah. cognitive right. opinions. Um, and so, on that tack how people feel about the afterlife yeah. in some ways is like children right. is more important than, than like what the theology yeah. of the afterlife yeah. you teach them. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's funny because in one way there was one positive thing about the Coco depiction of the afterlife, which was that the dead aren't really gone. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. was a big part of the movie. Mm-hmm. That, At least as long as you remember them. <laughs> yeah. Well, as long as you remember them. Yeah. But, but the dead being not really gone, that is something that the West has gener- generally speaking just forgotten. Mm-hmm. We just we bury people and then they're gone, move you on. know, and, yeah. and we move on. The um, other thing <laughs> tying into that, like the memory aspect, I thought was a very interesting theme in the film, and was moving. I think in her like bringing back Coco at her in her old age, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, with the song that her dad. Had written for her. You oh know, yeah, like that, that was a tearjerker tear moment. Big time. I totally <laughs> lost it. <laughs> like, that's like my little girl. Well, yeah. Especially because my yeah. my little yeah. girls are half Hispanics. So yeah, yeah, like I know. I'm it's very was, like yeah, yeah hit yeah. home. But um, you know that fact. Um, I guess it brought to mind for me the idea that that 
in in the scope of eternity that it's sort of the idea that those who are remembered by God mm-hmm. are the ones who live yeah. with him. You yeah, know, and who have eternal heaven. life. Yeah. Now, that, the only caveat I have to that is that that has a little bit of an, of an annihilationist, of an annihilationist overtone oh, that your to spirit it. Just, that if you're yeah. not remembered by God, you just cease to exist. Yeah. And that's what this essentially, there was no hell here. Right. It's just you persisted or you were annihilated and yeah. you just quit. Yeah. But that's not Christian doctrine. Right. Well, no, yeah. like, and, and in this way, if you were to say, well, what is the real Christian doctrine? Just as an introductory comment, the fact is, is that most people today do not have any kind of grounding mm-hmm. in a Christian vision of the afterlife. In fact, so many people are incredibly, there's just this void and there's kind of cliches. Well, if you believe in it at all. Right. Yeah. But I think um, you're saying even Christians oh, who okay. believe ostensibly in a biblical afterlife. Let's just say like a heaven okay. and a hell. Okay. And and people Is that what you're dis- saying? Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, I think and people may disagree with me about this, but if I just imagine the man on the street who goes to church every Sunday, if you were to stop him and say, What happens when you die? He would say, Well, all the people who were good and nice or who believed the right things. Are you saying if he was a Christian? Yeah, if he okay, was a Christian. Yeah, if he your believed the right American things. Christian. Your average okay, American Christian. It. If you're a good or nice person who believes the right things, basically kind of sort of generally speaking, um, and people would have different ideas about that, then you'll go to the happy place. Mm-hmm. And the happy place is where all your friends and family are waiting for you, and Jesus will be there with his hand. You know, <laughs> hugging, hugging grandma and hugging mom, be like, "Hey, gates. we're having a party. Yeah. Come join us!" And that's the afterlife. And so, the Coco vision of the afterlife is actually not far, yeah, mm-hmm. from that vision. It's kind of a yeah. paganized mm-hmm. v- or, vision, or even of it, oversimplified. Basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. For instance, like just and people may disagree with this point of view, but like if you were to throw in a little Thomas Aquinas, Aquinas would say. That when you die, um, well, first of all, each human being is a composite of a body and a spirit or a soul. And so, Mm -hmm. but human nature is a composite nature. So, Mm -hmm. it's literally two elements fused Mm -hmm. to make one nature. Mm -hmm. So, when you lose your body, it's like pulling the plug on a computer, right? Mm -hmm. So, the only way that spirits, according to Aquinas, have any kind of sensation or literally they're processing new information or, or they are aware of God or anything is because God, upon death, kind of gives them a special gift of uh, motion and change, okay. even in the afterlife, because you're basically half of what you're meant to be. And mm-hmm. people who are dead are like that all the way until the resurrection from the dead at the end of time. This is why there can be no completion of salvation or anything until there's a new heaven and new earth. Mm-hmm. So everybody right now who is, is in, in bliss is in waiting. They're they're incomplete in some sense. Yeah, they yeah they're perfect or they've been perfected if they're in heaven, you know. But they yeah they're they want their body back basically. Mm-hmm. Everybody who's dead wants Bobby it back. Body. <laughs> you know? But but like that's not is that the and that's where that's like Abraham's bosom comes in, right? 
where like well, Abraham's place... bosom, I think, is pre. It's pre Christian, right? The kind of consoling place, yeah. of Judaic, yeah, yeah, belief. That's Which a little is... bit more connected to Sheol. It's like there were kind of two different parts of Sheol, yeah, right. You know, in ancient Jewish thought. Um, and then Even that the was transliterated, Jews. though. Uh-huh. It's really interesting talking about like pagan afterlife because you know the underworld, as we as it was known, and we Hades. came to know it. That's really what is presented in Coco. Mm-hmm. It is an yeah. underworld kind of a place, right. and you know the Jews and the Hebrew culture all the way through the Old Testament. Um, you know the word Sheol meant the grave. It's translated in the Psalms or a lot, but means literally the underworld or the realm of shades and is corollary in the Septuagint and the Greek uh, scriptures to Hades. Yeah. Which, which is, is different than hell. Well, that is what we translate hell, yeah. but it is but like, was different it in Greek speaking, thought. It was, it was a different thing. It was a different hell yeah. and not Gehenna, which is the place of fire. Yeah. Like when Jesus talks about thrown into the lake right. of fire, it's, it's Gehenna, yeah. like the trash heap that they yeah. burned. So, you know, uh, Hades was the underworld, but there's very, and I, I find this really fascinating because, you know, everybody had these beliefs about the afterlife prior to Christ that are not that far off from each other. Like yeah. most humanity, most of humanity had these, like in Even Greek, different beliefs. in Greek yeah. thought you had like the Elysian fields. You know, like the golden fields yeah. where the dead, the Think righteous dead. <laughs> exactly. It's gladiator, you know, when he, with the hand in the wheat. Yeah. Um, that's the Elysian fields, which is sort of feels like Abraham's bosom, like this sort of- Before a, you this, entered the gates of, Etern- of Elysium or, uh, no. Is that it? Elysium? No. Uh, what's the after- uh, Oh, like- Abraham's bosom. No, no. What's the Greek afterlife called? Hades? No. Uh, Tartarus? The sticks? No, there was like a name for it. The was river, it? the river sticks. No, that's the dead river. Yeah. The, oh, I forgot. Wasn't was it not Elysium? What is Elysium? Elysium is a movie about a. No, but that's, <laughs> I know that it is a it is a Greek with Matt Damon. <laughs> it is a Greek something. Um, well, the Elysian fields. That's the same word. But are you, what are you thinking of? I don't know. They there was a because you have like Tartarus was the lowest part of hell. Which in Greek thought, it's only mentioned a couple of times in all literature, which is really fascinating. It's only the word is barely even used in classical Greek. Um, um, I believe uh, Heraclitus is where we get the definition of Tartarus, and I'll get to why this is interesting. But he says, um, if you drop an anvil from the top of Mount Olympus, which is like the mountain of heaven, it'll take nine days falling to reach earth. And if you dropped another, the same anvil from earth down into a pit to the bottom of Tartarus, oh wait, maybe it's nine days to hell, to Hades, and then another nine no, days I was to right. Tartarus. Roman heaven but, is Elysium. Okay, but that's the Elysian fields. It's the oh. same thing. Well, it, well isn't the gates like leading into Elysium? Like the fields were outside Elysium, wasn't it? And then they entered the gates into. I, if I I've never seen that described as a Elysium, city, but Elysium it could was be. just a really beautiful Place. city, right? And so they just—it was like I, I it would be like I, saying Montana. <laughs> well, no, just it like, would be like it would be it would be like their, Montana, you know, New Jerusalem per se. And I like yeah, the fields oh, yeah. were outside, and then like the fields. I don't know. I I thought I remember it being like the fields is where you waited. 
until like you entered into the city. Huh. Hmm. That, that may be. I, don't, I, I could I'd, be totally I'd wrong. I'd have to but... look into it again. I don't know, but. But the thing that I think is interesting is that you have the kind of waiting place of the righteous dead mm-hmm. in sort of this, you know, not non-active bliss, but not bliss, even that would be too strong of a word, but just hovering in in mediocrity yeah. um, in a pretty place. And then you have the bad who went to punishment. Um, and then you had like the dark place where angels are locked up, you know, which is Tartarus, which is where the... Uh, isn't that where that is where Zeus's the, father? That's where the like Kronos, yeah, Kronos, the Titans, yeah, the Titans yeah. among them, of Kronos, yeah. were locked up. Right now, that word Tartarus is borrowed by Saint Peter. In uh, is it Second Peter? I think it's First Peter. Is it First Peter? Um, anyway, one of the letters by Peter, he says that the angels, when they disobeyed, when angels fell that they were locked in Tartarus. So he equivalates, is that a it's, word? It, 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 Equivocates. Well, he, yeah. Makes equivalence yeah. between right. the Greek story of Tartarus and the Titans falling and being locked up and the biblical story and Hebrew story of the angels falling yeah. and being locked in Tartarus. Yeah. A word that is never used in the Bible again, yeah. ever. Mm-hmm. But he just identified that Greek word as the bottommost pit of hell. Right. Which in the Old Testament is kind of like the when it says you've been sent down to the very sides of the pit mm-hmm. um, in Ezekiel is is kind of like that. So anyway, but I think it's interesting that all these ancient cultures had a lot of shared ideas yeah. about how the underworld worked, yeah. what it was. You had Abraham's bosom, you had the Elysian fields, which kind of worked the same way. Yeah. Then you had this like darker place, the divide between even the divide between. Um, like the dead and Lazarus, yeah. and we just read this. Dives and Lazarus was in the readings this week, um, of when Lazarus dies and dives dies, uh, and how there was a rift between yeah. you know Abraham's bosom and and the right place of punishment. Um, right. Anyway, which, which, which one of the big shifts, of course, in Christianity, and you mm-hmm. see this a lot in the church fathers, was the theme of Christ pillaging hell so Mm -hmm. uh, when christ descends into hell which is actually because if you read like the original he actually like uses you know uh the word hades Mm -hmm. like which again Mm -hmm. there was some distinction between hades being a place and then like the lake of fire being a place right well Hades being you know a place of death the lake of fire being a place of punishment right you know yeah well and and in some sense um the fire Gehenna, I think, is it just it's tightly tied to the fire that is waiting at the end. Like mm-hmm. yeah. the fire reserved for I think there's even a line Paul uses where he says the fire that is reserved mm-hmm. for the disobedient. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's always an end times kind right, of right. fire. But but you know Hades, which was locked up, is now pillaged and burst. Mm-hmm. The gates are burst, and mm-hmm. the righteous ascended into heaven in the right. train of Christ. And so right. that was actually a big focus of the early church was, right. that there was celebrating seismic Christ shift. the conqueror, or if you study theology, it's Christus Victor. The mm-hmm. Christ has you know, bound hell. the strong man. He was strong. It's one of my favorite Eastern Orthodox hymns, one of the Greek hymns that goes, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and upon those in the tombs restoring life. That's uh-huh. kind of cool, like seven meter. Um, Especially with Russian monks singing. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. 
<laughs> but that idea of Christ trampling death and being victorious over death. Yeah. But the the but the deeper point being that like when you see a story like Coco that Facts borrows <laughs> yeah. this does tie back to Coco, yeah. uh, but when you see a story like that that's borrowing heavily from pagan ideas of the afterlife, even with modern trappings, you have to understand that as a Christian that you don't necessarily believe that that was inherently false or that the framework that that was understood in was false forever, but that when Christ came, there was a seismic shift in the nature of the afterlife. Well, because well, people say, think, it's kind of people asking like, well, was Abraham a Christian? It's like, well, that's kind of the wrong question to be asking. Yeah. Like in a sense, but not, not in that sense, you know? Well, I mean, I think though that you, and this is interesting because if you look at the history of um, Judaism, you know, it, when the first five books of the Pentateuch um, were all that was written, right? You hadn't had Isaiah, you hadn't had David, all this stuff. You don't see um, the afterlife very much in the Bible at all. Uh-huh. And yeah. in fact, there was a huge divide between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Because, because of that reason. Yeah, because yeah. if you read the Gospels closely, you'll see the Sadducees only accepted the first five books of the Bible and they didn't believe there was an afterlife. Mm-hmm. They just thought people died, basically. Right. And, um, <clears throat> and of course, Christ rebukes them. But the Pharisees were actually the one who went around preaching that uh, there were, you know, the evildoers and the good. And mm-hmm. the evildoers got punished and the good got uh, rewarded, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting to yeah. recall. But um, when you look at the paganism of something like Coco, um, it basically is just an extension of the lived world. So you still have mortality. You still have a, quote, body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You still need things. There's still yeah, right. a rich and a poor. There's still a social status and structure. And, <clears throat> and basically... Um, paganism, the only difference between, I would say, early Christian thought or, or Jewish thought, there was this idea that there was a kind of judgment, you know, the sheep and the goats, um, even before Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with paganism, I think that gets blurred a lot between, you know, the king who took all his gold with him into the tomb, mm-hmm. you know, and he, and he has what he needs to cross over. As actually, the whole idea of crossing over is a really pagan idea too, like crossing over the sticks, right? Crossing over, <laughs> yeah, like like the bridge. We're all yeah. in this shadow land, and when you cross over, nobody really knows what's beyond that. Basically, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but well, and that it, it, in a way, I mean, I guess you could kind of. It, it was it. This thought would be super vague and probably not what they intended, but you you could look at it as if you were a good person then you would be remembered. Therefore, you would have an afterlife, basically. But if the, you were a bad person in life, That's a great question. Forgotten. I don't think so, though. No? Let's flip that around. Like, Hitler. Okay, Hitler. <laughs> Hitler's very remembered. Well, yeah. But in but their like, afterlife, Hitler would be well, like still running Let, let me correct big... what I think you're thinking, because I think the actually the more cogent way to interpret what Coco was saying, because mm-hmm. think about the moment in the movie when he thinks that his picture has been destroyed, right? The implication is that there won't be an actual picture to what? Put on an altar yeah. with food sacrifices. It was a sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. It was, it so was in a, other words, yeah. it's not actually because Coco had a picture of him the whole time. 
Right. Right. So why wasn't that picture good enough to get him in? It wasn't just yeah. being remembered. It was that he was being sacrificed to yeah. like a deity. Yeah. So that's where... <laughs> like, we're right back, we're right back to Mulan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's a fascinating thing. If you ever want to study this, study the word worship in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Because the word worship in the Bible does not mean praise. It does not mean singing songs. It does not mean any of that stuff. It means specifically making a sacrifice. And this is real important because Mm -hmm. actually, you know, like as a Catholic, you kind of get flack sometimes because people are like, well, don't you have statues and people are kneeling and all these things? Well, it's about what you're sacrificing to. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. the reason communion is so powerful is because the sacrifice, it's Christ's sacrifice. Like he's offering himself Mm -hmm. in the bread and the wine. Um, the body and the blood, it's his sacrifice. Um, but it would be utterly idolatrous to offer food to any kind of statue or to offer or to offer an animal sacrifice to any mm-hmm. any person, any you know, any anyone well, at all. It's interesting. Right? That would cross over into idolatry. So well, it's, it's interesting just, too, thinking about the pagan yeah. world and like offering sacrifice how Christ totally flipped it around because mm-hmm. always then you brought the food to sacrifice to the God. And they, even in the Jewish system, that was what was brought. You brought and the priest sacrificed it and they ate it. And Christ totally flipped it around. And the God, the God made the sacrifice of himself and feeds us. Right. Yeah. It's like the opposite of all pagan right. sacrificial worship. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, Which is I think really can you imagine ever somebody ever inventing well, and I think, that kind of undermining of But I think that's why yeah. the it old way. could have, you know, been such a a hard thing for you know, Jewish people then to understand and even today is because they were basically not you know, I don't think in any way he was spitting in the face of the old the way it was done, but in in some ways, it was uh, well. It was a very subversive, or? Sub, but like it was such a spiritual thing mm-hmm. that if you weren't tuned into that, you would see it as a complete and utter. You would see it like Paul did before. Exactly, the you would see it yeah. as just like a spitting in the face of Moses and the pro and like the mm-hmm. way it was done. Like unless, and I think that's why you know I was reading when uh, uh, you know. Uh, Jesus asks uh, Peter, who do you say I am? Like, and he says, well, that was a spiritual revelation that you just answered me. Well, you're the son of God. Mm -hmm. And that's what it had to have been because Mm -hmm. anyone else who didn't have that spiritual revelation of Jesus being the son of God and what he was going to do, Mm -hmm. they would just be like, who does this guy think he is? You know, he's coming around roasting all of the religious leaders Mm-hmm. And then he's going to say, I'm the sacrifice and you need to eat my body and drink my blood, which yeah. is yeah. literally said you cannot do in the in the Torah. Like, right, right. no wonder people didn't want to believe it. Yeah. Well, the thing that's incredible too is that Jesus didn't try to like explain it to you. I know. He's just like, you get it or you don't. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was like, man, he really just said yeah. like, if you have ears to hear, you'll hear. Yeah. And that's, it's that's crazy. good for us to, to think about too, because we think, oh, if I said that, everybody would think I'm crazy. Like, yeah. Well, that's kind of what, that's yeah. what Jesus did. Yeah. In some ways, I think it, it, it takes almost listening to an atheist, mm-hmm. um, just 
totally choke on Christ's divinity and say, how can you believe this? Yeah. For for a Christian who's just grown up in it culturally mm-hmm. to really understand the weightiness yeah. of the claim. Right, right. That there was a human being walking around 2,000 ah. years ago, and you're claiming that that human being was God. Right. Well, yeah. I think and even as God. a Christian, it's a hard thing to wrap your head around. Yeah. Like, well, it is, but I think he's saying if you grow up in it, it's, oh, you can okay. you take you it so much for of, granted about it. Oh, that's it, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you just think it's normal to think yeah. that, but you yeah. don't realize how strikingly. Yeah. If you actually sit down and just try and comprehend that, it's just like, whoa. Yeah, it's that's yeah. kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's and actually, like, it's really whoa. easy to imagine. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's actually really easy to, and almost kind of dangerous in a sense, I think, psychologically, to kind of put yourself into the boots of the Pharisees. Yeah, because it's really easy, kind of like you're saying, yeah. to imagine the opposite case. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. I, I yeah. remember a while back, I was teaching a class and I was, uh, I was detailing one of Christ's parables, and some of uh, Christ's critiques of the Pharisees, you could totally turn them around and be like, how could he say that? You know, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's one where he says, "You build memorials to the prophets who were martyred." Because you agree with their martyrdom. Mm. <laughs> and that would be like saying... Because you would have killed Because them. we built the memorial to Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King Jr., we're glad that they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's right. like a really yeah. shocking thing to say. Right. And it takes like a mind of faith to kind of enter into what he right. was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Because there's actually a really deep point in it, mm-hmm. but probably... Yeah too deep for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Ben's going like, to start a philosophy podcast. Moral yeah, of the yeah. story, Unchained. unchained. <laughs> Speaking of which, we have something in the works that uh, will probably include creating some extra content. Yes. So stay tuned for that because that's coming very soon. Some more ways that you guys can get involved with the show uh, and help us continue it and hopefully be beneficial for everyone because you'll get extra content and extra things and uh we'll get to keep doing this so Mm -hmm. stay tuned for that Mm -hmm. but uh wrapping up alex moral of the story for coco Mm. i i we didn't really talk a lot about the movie (laughs) well we didn't talk about the plot i mean i think the the plot of this movie is is pretty simple yeah it is you know there's not a lot i mean there's a lot there but it's a very kind of classic story it is yeah i mean the moral of the story for me just in a human sense watching it and i agree with all of the critique of it it was a good story mm-hmm. and a very engaging movie mm-hmm. yeah like, definitely if i get past the kind of like pagan yeah obviously like and non-real... i didn't even mention the spirit animals oh yeah the oh, spirit yeah. animals are terrifying yeah like that that really well, that was really her because spirit animal like literally stuff, what... that's like those are demons like yeah that but they, it, but they wait, are wasn't her, you know? wasn't her I, I, as soon as i saw it wasn't uh the great uh, Hector's wife. What I can't remember her name. The 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 one that started the shoe. The uh, Paris's wife. No, the great 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 grandmother. The uh, the one that. Are you talking about Coco or are you talking about the Iliad? Coco. <laughs> <laughs> you said Only Hector. On the moral you said of the story podcast. <laughs> would Hector be confused with Hector? You said, you said no. Hector, and I went straight back to ancient Greece. No, but but to tie that in. Her spirit animal wasn't it like one of the, there's an there's a beast in either Greek or the some, griffin. Well, kind of like the griffin, but it had the body or the head of a lion, body of a goat, tail of a snake, or I could be mixing those up. Oh. Or, 
I think it is a griffin, okay. or it, it was a what was in the movie. The griffin has the body of, of a lion, the head of an eagle, because it had the horns. I don't know. It, yeah, it, it definitely it had a looked lot. like a Greek type of beast. Yeah, for sure. No, it was. Yeah, but that yeah. was a. Yeah, I, yeah well, what do you elaborate on that, Ben? Like, oh the, well, just if you look at again, animals. look at pagan influences, and one actually, there's in, a whole the book Bible, series. I had to like get rid of it because my daughter found it at the library, and it was a whole. It's a whole series about like your spirit animal. Oh, was it his dark materials? Because that's a really popular. No, it was a different one that does the same thing. It was a different one. It was all like warm and fuzzy. It was like, oh yeah, real geared toward young kids. Oh yeah, and um, and that's the thing is that the spirit animal thing that's real. Like, mm -hmm. and the reason is, well, for whatever reason, it's kind of a strange thing in the scriptures. Spirits, angels, are connected with animal iconography. So, like Mm -hmm. in Revelation. You have an eagle, and you have a bull, and you have a lion, and, and different animals that are mm-hmm. connected. When Ezekiel saw the cherubim, it was all these wings and eyes, you know? Mm-hmm. So well, the, did you know that seraphim, uh, like, literally is translated as snake? Hmm. So, like... I thought seraph was fire, like, burning one. No, that, like, the... Whatever Lucifer was, like, uh, I think it's seraphim. Hmm. It's not cherubim. It's the other one. Isn't seraphim the other one? Cherubim and seraphim. Seraphim are supposed to be higher than cherubim. Yeah. So there's a thought that he was higher. Yeah. And that that, that word is literally translated as like a snake beast. Hmm. And so it actually is an interesting thought when you think of him as a seraphim and then the snake in the garden. Yeah. No. But but yeah, even the, the episode of the snake in Genesis. So just creature, somehow angelic intelligences when they manifest. Yeah. There's a kind of connection with... Lucifer is also the dragon. Animal. Yeah. yeah. Animal. Right. So when people talk about animal guides or spirit guides, that's a really big part of yeah. animation. Even like Harry Potter, that's big. Like the your pat- oh, Patronus. Yeah, your Patronuses. Patronus. Yeah. But, which is means Ben's moral of the story that he hated it? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, you know, I'll, I'll say the movie really moved me. I mean, like I said, I, I cried the moment when he's singing Remember Me to his little yeah. girl. And I just think, oh, man, you know. The absent father. Nothing is a bigger tearjerker to me as a dad than seeing absent dads in in Pixar movies. But um, but the movie taught something that actually is very profound in our world. And so I'll, I'll pivot to the positive. And that was our world says to follow your dream yeah. and do whatever you want, you know. And this movie said no. That has to be reconciled with the family ties. Mm-hmm. Yeah you know, that bring people together. Mm -hmm. And I think there's also a critique, if you want to shift to a social reading, where Hector is the millennial dad, (laughs) 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 who's kind of skinny and artsy. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, the dad Ernesto no, well, the de la Cruz <laughs> and Ernesto de la Cruz is the old fashioned alpha male of previous generations. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's toxically male. <laughs> yeah. And, and a um, murderer and a murderer oh, and also a murderer and yeah. also a murderer. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the problem of the absent dad, again, it, it, yeah. it comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's interesting that, yeah, uh, I guess Miguel, his dad was a real positive dad, mm-hmm. even though he didn't have a lot of screen time. Yeah, but so that kind of threads through it too. But um, yeah, no, remember that, his dad was the one who wanted him to be the shoemaker. Yeah, 
He was like, it, it's in our blood. You well, there was a moment there uh-huh. when I was about to be shocked and mad because <laughs> I thought midway through the movie, I think they are about to tell me that following your dreams and abandoning your family is the most important <laughs> thing in life. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I'm glad the, uh, and I, and I will say it, you know, I did, I was, uh, I was not shocked, but the, the kind of the twist of the movie was a big surprise to me. I didn't really see that coming. So, um, yeah, I think for me, kind of what Ben was saying, I think that, that that was kind of the big thing that spoke that, you know, ultimately your family is what is the most important thing in this life. And, um, yeah, I, I was conflicted cause it was one of those things where, I was able to pull that out and kind of, you know, look past all the, the things that I had, you know, knew was very pagan about it. Mm-hmm. And I guess in some ways, you know, you can see it as you could you could read it as more fairy tale, but I think you have to be able to discern that. You know, like I don't know for kids who are obviously the target audience if they're able to do that as much. Yeah, that's my biggest, my biggest, I guess, my moral moral of the story for me uh, with Coco is that it is, an, on one hand, it is a beautiful, very human, heart-wrenching, heart-engaging story. As Pixar does. You know, that they, they do best. that they appeal to all of the human notes of, of empathic emotion. Mm-hmm. And they're doing that on purpose. Right. Really... Yeah. As a manipulation tactic, right? To and I loop, felt to that hook you in. I mean, they're lot. they are totally, a hundred percent, just saying, all right, we're just going to hook them and we're just going to drag them through it, right? And this is this is planned, okay, by people in a writing room. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the imagination of the story, the creative of the story, that's not that emotional heart. Because they're very, very good at the human emotional heart. Mm-hmm. However, the imagination of the story is not essentially non-Christian. It is a pagan imagination, right? And and, and that to that me is way, the biggest problem. I think yeah. they're using this image and language of idea and using it in a way that speaks to us on a deeply human emotional mm-hmm. level, which is a way of making us feel deeply passionate and emotionally connected to things that are actually pagan yeah well and it and works the reverse it's the way it's the religion of disney world it is like like i i had a i had a moment watching the movie and i think we did a podcast on disney you know some a couple months ago or something and i remember we were critiquing frozen and different things coco to me hit a new level mm-hmm. of of feeling the religion of disney come mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. um and yeah. and in this way, like like Luke, you were saying earlier, um, you know, family is the most important thing, and like I agree, I think with what you're saying in in the sense in which you're saying it. But I had a weird experience watching Coco because for the first time I heard the word family in this movie, and I did not. I think I heard something else. It's like it they weren't talking about family the way I think of family. Right, family is important. Family is really important, but family is not God, mm-hmm. right? And in the religion of Disney, family is God, and money is God. Like family 
experiences our God, basically. Like, we're literally taking pictures of ourselves at Disney World that we're going to put in a scrapbook so later we can put them up on an altar and sacrifice to our family memories at Disney World. It's literally become like an alternative religion yeah. at a certain point. And at that point, family becomes almost a sinister word. Like, watching it, mm-hmm. I had this sense... You know, it's yeah. Well, let's go. Let's dig into that a little bit. It's like it's not. It's not family. It's. it's, But I, I I see what you're saying. But I, I also genuinely wonder sometimes how, how much that is actually thought about. I know, I know, everything about this is thought about. But I also very, very much understand that the, the world that makes these movies basically hollywood is a very can is a more and more atheistic society and that's just the the society of today more and more people are just you know not believing in anything so mm-hmm. I, I i i wonder how much of that is actually thought about as oh well let's let's introduce some more of these pagan ideas or more of it is just like, oh, well, yeah, this is a cute thing that they believe in this part of the world, so we're going to tell this. It's the same with, you know, uh, what's the Princess and the Frog mm-hmm. or Brave. You know, it, you kind of see it as, like, do they actually believe these things or are they just fel- telling fun stories well, from different parts of the world? I think that's the problem, though. You don't know. They they basically believe nothing. That's and what. That's so my they point. think all of yeah. it's just cute. Exactly. They. Yeah. They. They're on not on one level. But they, I say that in a way of I. I don't know that they're actually trying to <clears throat> indoctrinate children with with. They don't believe any of it. They want to. If they're pushing anything, it's like. But what Ben's saying, it's more of a um, a <laughs> you know a way to sell tickets to to Disney World. Disney World. Right. Like they don't actually. I don't know that they actually believe in any of that pagan stuff. They're like, how can we no. tell a cute story about a cute part of the world that yeah. we can, you know? Well, and in that sense, like, I would not watch Brave or any, or I think of other movies like The Book of Kells, the animated Book of Kells, which is a real good movie. That's a um, Disney movie? No. It's not Disney. Oh. But but you think about movies that take place in another part of the world that's more historically Christian, like Celtic Ireland or something. And there'll probably be Christian iconography that's used purely from an artistic perspective, Mm -hmm. to summon up the feeling of Ireland, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And in that way, yeah, the paganism of the Day of the Dead is just being summoned up to give a sense of Mm -hmm. Hispaniola, so to speak. Yeah, and the same with Princess and the Frog and, you know, the fact that he's a, you know... A voodoo. A voodoo Cajun witch doctor, you know, that's kind of like that area. Yeah. So... No, but I think I think the thing that drilling down a little deeper, there is a fundamental fact at the heart of Christianity, which again is very contra paganism. Because how many cultures have had quote family values? Spoiler alert: all of them. Right. All of them. If you're out there and you think, oh, wait, no, only Christians have family values. No, ladies and gentlemen, the Japanese had family values, and the Chinese have family values, and the Indians have family values. Everybody has family values. Uh, It's called tribalism. (laughs) 
mm-hmm. and, and clans in Scotland and it's and family values are just human. It doesn't take that's like Jesus saying, you know, uh, there's a scripture where he says, you know, even even the tax collectors treat their friends well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just part of the DNA. And at the heart of Christianity, you have Christ who didn't get married. He didn't have any kids. Mm-hmm. Big All deal. Right. He was a king. He wasn't democratically elected. Mm-hmm. Like if you start listing all the things that go against American bourgeois ideals mm-hmm. right. at the heart of the gospel, the list racks up really fast, and just nobody preaches about it, nobody talks about it because mm-hmm. it's just so challenging. Yeah. It is. Well, and I was going to say too on the pagan paganism tack. You can also look back at ancient Rome and say, like, they had an incredibly strong sense of family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the goddess Diana was like goddess of hearth and home. I mean, the the Roman agricultural family unit that went and fought Hannibal and did all the things they did in the lead up to the Roman Empire mm-hmm. Yeah, is, you know, astonishing, way, really way stronger than anything we have in America. That's true. Um, and so... So even that, you can have an incredibly strong virtue, and it is a virtue of mm-hmm. family yeah. solidarity. But at some point, Jesus does say, hate your father and mother and hate yeah. your brothers and sisters <laughs> yeah. to follow me. And that's where Christianity becomes hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's where I think I think for us, we are so far removed from even just basic family values mm-hmm. in our society in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. There's so many threats to it, to the family. Yeah. That we're just constantly fighting this rear guard action. And that's where watching Coco, I have just this weird sense because all these things that I love and hold very dear to my heart are being celebrated. Yeah. But in a de-Christianized format, mm-hmm. and if you de-Christianize family, family can turn real dark, <laughs> real <laughs> quick. That's <laughs> what was the uh, the clans that were at war in Arkansas for ages? Uh, Hatfield and McCoys. <laughs> yeah. Hatfields and McCoys. You know, is that Arkansas? I thought it was Kentucky. Oh, it's everywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's wherever you're from. <laughs> Oh, oh man! man. Oh, well, man. I, I feel like this one could be going on for a yeah, long time, yeah. so we might yeah, yeah, we yeah. might yeah, bring close this one out. to a close. Yeah. We've all we've already said our, our moral of the story, so <laughs> yeah. we'll we'll, yeah. we'll leave it there. We'll remind you though, if you want to get a free audiobook, if you and today's recommendation was The Great Divorce by mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. you can get that for free. Great book, and it's like an hour listen. Yeah, it's, it's not pretty long, short. It's, it's but it's a short. great, great allegory. Yeah, it's the length of a good podcast. So. It is, it is. <laughs> um, you can check that out. The link is in the description below, but it's audibletrial.com forward slash moral of the story. And not only do you get a free audiobook, it really helps support us and support this podcast continuing to happen because it actually does take time and money. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we thank you everyone for... Uh, keeping us going and yeah make sure to stay tuned uh we're gonna have an update coming really soon about more ways that you can get involved so i wonder if people should share us with their dead relatives no, <laughs> no. <laughs> they probably don't have podcasts in the afterlife probably add, add us probably. to your family altar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh like the podcast comment share uh wherever you listen um mm-hmm. stay up you know with us on social media so you know when we post and new updates and thank you for listening 
Until next time. The Moral of the Story with Alex Wolliver, Luke Taylor, and Benjamin Wolliver. Please subscribe to The Moral of the Story on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen. Visit moralofthestorypodcast.com. Copyright 2020 Moral of the Story Media.